today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. The world is scratching its collective head in the past week trying to figure out what the heck happened in Turkey. Now, as is naturally the case, as information is uh, released from a global event, you believe what you read and see that's unfolding before you. And pictures showed what appeared to be military attacks upon the front of the parliament, not the parliament building, but the front of it in Turkey, in Istanbul, in Ankara. And there were a few little sporadic attacks here or there. And the news stories were that there was a coup unfolding against Erdogan, who happened to be vacationing. And all of a sudden you saw reports of a takeover of the Turkish primary media arm. And Erdogan was only able to communicate with the people, telling them to resist the military and go to the streets. But he wasn't using traditional media arms. He was using FaceTime through his iPhone and CNN Turk. And the initial responses were that, well, if the military takes over your media arm and you're using FaceTime, maybe you are in trouble. His airplane then goes in the air. Could have been shot down, was in the sights of military jets, but was not. It circled for quite a while. If you look at the flight patterns, it was actually fascinating. And then ended up landing in Istanbul and taking back control. Now, it's interesting that he was able to push back this supposed coup, and many now are calling it his Reichstag fire. To remind you, the Reichstag fire was Adolf Hitler's mechanism of, in 1933, using arson on the German on the German Parliament to then blame it on a Dutch anarchist and use that as a justification for suspending civil, liberty, civil liberties and beginning the deterioration and fall of Germany into a vicious military dictatorship. And it does appear that this push in Turkey is, I believe, the false flag of some kind, because it's just not, it, it's just not making any sense. There are many many forces in Turkey that uh, would like to see Erdogan depart. Uh, two major ones. One is the secular military. But if you look at uh, Michael Rubin's uh, accounting and commentary about 
comparing other coups. He spoke to an expert uh, who had witnessed some of these coups. And the witness had described the 1960 coup in which his father had been detained and the coup was announced in the morning on national radio. Now, obviously, there was no television then, but it had always been a leading officer of the coup that made the announcement, not just some uh, television personality that did it as they did in this one. In the 1980 coup, it was General Everett himself, chief of staff and leader of the coup, that made the announcement. But again, not this time. It was just the TRT headquarters of the media arm uh, in which that announcement was made. So that's very odd. The other thing is to usually coups will arrest top political leaders, the president, prime minister, but again, not so this time. In previous coups in Turkey, usually the heads of the, the government were taken out in some way, not so this time. Usually they start early hours in the morning when everybody's asleep so that by the time they're awake, Things are solidified and the coup is beginning to take hold. Not so this time. It seemed like they wanted as much attention for their small little coup as possible. So there are many questions to be asked here. And I won't go through all of them for you. But the bottom line is is that Erdogan's Turkey is turning into a cult of personality. Mustafa Akil wrote wrote an excellent piece in which he laid out some of the history of the Justice and Development Party. And this was last year. He wrote about how the organization had promised consultation, term limits, and other things. And it had turned into an Islamist party of personality in which Erdogan had turned into an idol and even had been described as Allah and God which is heresy for a Muslim. But he had turned his presidency into a presidency of personality, of demagoguery, and dictatorship. And this is from a reformist Muslim, Mustafa Kiel. And then ultimately it was a Machiavellianism that had taken over how Erdogan was ruling. And Mustafa wrote this a year ago, in March 2015. So... You know, the writing's been on the wall for some time. And even just two weeks before this whole effort, Erdogan's government, which had supported the Islamists of Syria, all the way, some would argue, illegal provision and purchasing of oil from ISIS, but especially some of the peri-Islamists, the Islamist hardcore groups like Jubat al-Nusra and others had been getting support from Turkey. And yet... A week before this bizarre so-called coup, they made overtures to Russia, overtures to the Assad regime, that somehow they could repair and begin diplomacy with the foreign minister of Turkey talking about actual meetings and and uh, recognition and discussion with Assad again. And if not, also reestablishing diplomatic relations with Russia in a better way, in a more open, positive way. And then also reestablishing communications with Israel. This is coming from a government, Erdogan's government, who had sent flotillas to the West Bank 
and been pro-Hamas and pro-Muslim Brotherhood with Morsi and also done overtures with Iran in the past. So at the end of the day, it may be his Reichstag fire. We'll see what happens over the next few months. And now, just a couple days before this podcast air, 21,000 university professors in Turkey who are on the government payroll had received their papers that they would have to report and may not be able to go back to their jobs, that this ultimately may be a cleansing of the Gulenists. Now, I had talked about the major arms that would like to see Erdogan leave. One arm was the secular military, which are supposedly the protectors of the Turkish constitution and its its secularism, which obviously can't stand the Islamism of the Justice and Development Party of the AKP of Turkey. And the other arm is the Gulenist, also another cultist movement, which is very difficult to pin down, has no clarity about what their mission is, is obviously more moderate in that it's not an open Islamist party like the AKP is, but yet is more personality-driven to the point that Fatullah Gulen had to leave Turkey and has asylum and lives in the Poconos in Pennsylvania in the United States. And after this coup happened within a day or two, the foreign minister was telling another NATO country, the United States, if it doesn't release Gulen, that it would be an act of war. Now that's pretty heavy verbiage from a NATO country. So at the minimum, I would hope that NATO convenes and begins to put Turkey on notice that its actions, whether it planned this weird coup or or not, but its verbiage and its behaviors internally are autocratic, dictatorial, and not fitting of a democracy that should be part of NATO. And yeah, we, we saw the Obama administration stand behind their man, Erdogan, and condemn the coup. And listen, I get it. No ends justifies the means when you talk about a military coup. It can't. Egypt's al-Sisi is a good example. Might have made us feel good to get rid of a Islamist tyranny of Mohammed Morsi. But as all coups do end up showing, the dictator does prove to be a radical. And a militant tyrant, but also it has no legitimacy. You can't have a legitimate free government and have elections that comes to power through a military coup. So, time will tell what's happening in Turkey, but keep your eyes peeled. And I want to end this segment with a very important point about why I walk you through these gyrations of the understandings of be it Syria, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, or now Turkey. The elephant in the room for Muslim consciousness in the West is the tyranny of these governments across the planet. Do not underestimate, do not underestimate the impact which tyrannical regimes from Saudi Arabia to Pakistan to Iran to Egypt to Turkey to Syria have upon the ability and the confidence of Muslims to have to speak out for reform. In Turkey, this so-called democracy, imams have their sermons controlled by the government. 
They are handed talking points in which they have to stick to. So religious freedom is not even close to being what we understand it to be in the West in Turkey. Ask the Christian community, the few that exist there, how they're treated. Ask the few remaining Jews in Turkey and how they're treated. There are very limited religious freedoms for minority faiths and especially for dissenting views of of Muslims against the Islamists. But the key is the environment. The key is the laboratory. The fact that they don't have an environment in which they can question authority. The fact that the environment of tyranny that that reigns upon their country, be it military, be it journalistic control, academic control, as long as the system, whether it's in a, a truly Islamist regime or a secular nationalist regime, as my family escaped in Syria from the Ba'athists, either way, anyone who questions and criti- criticizes religious, political, or governmental, or academic leaders will end up in jail if they don't toe the line of the one ideology that controls society. So it's fascinating I hear from people, well, you know, the Christians are protected better under Assad than under ISIS. It's all the same. The only Christians protected under Assad were the Ba'athists. Non-Ba'athist Christians, be it communists, be it free, capitalist Christians, were rejected just as much as the Islamists. And yes, the Islamists are our enemy as much as the communists are our enemy. But they were also the enemy of the Ba'athists, and the Ba'athists are our enemies. So the enemy of our enemy is not our friend. Our friends are those who share our principles of freedom and liberty. So this is what we need to start looking at. And when you ask what are the who are the friends that we should look for, who are the friends that we should share and help in Turkey or in Syria or in Russia or anywhere that may happen to be Muslim, I would tell you that they are the ones who share our principles and they exist our universal principles of human rights and freedom and democracy. And some may not know them yet, but as they learn about these principles, will then become our allies, as long as they haven't been pre-brainwashed into being Islamists or secular fascists, such as the Arabist Ba'athists, the Nazis of the Middle East. So be careful when you say, well, secular Turkish nationalists are better than the Islamists, they might be better, but they're certainly, if they're military dictators, they're not going to breed an environment. The Ataturk example of Turkish secularism outlawed the discussion of Arabic in Turkey. You could not read the Quran in Arabic or educate people about the descriptions and definitions and and interpretations or tafsir in Arabic. And they did that to protect themselves from Wahhabi Islam and other forms of Salafism. But it also prevented critique. It prevented the very core understanding of the words and the interpretations that would be necessary to defeat Wahhabism. And it pushed them underground, which actually was a fertile soil for Islamism and why the AKP then comes fast forward to 2002 when it becomes legitimate, is allowed to be legitimate, then has control of many of the mosque institutions because it was pushed underground. The best way to treat bad ideas is with good ideas, not by pushing them 
underground. So that's Turkey. And that's the importance of why when we talk about reform, why this issue of foreign governments and the governments of the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, I'll continue to bring back to you. We cannot in America, as much as American Muslims can lead reform efforts, we cannot do this reform without the similar principles being applied by our motherlands, whether it be Syria, Turkey, Egypt, wherever our families came from, that we be holding them accountable to the same principles. Muslims who talk out of both sides of their mouth and say, oh, for Egypt, let's have a dictatorship because that's what they need, while in America we demand freedom and liberty. You can't talk out of both sides of your mouth and be consistent and have one coherent personality as an American or as a human being and one coherent consciousness as a Muslim that that reform needs to be born out of liberty. It can't be born out of one principle for Turkey and one principle for America. This is Zudi Jasser, your faithful broadcast of Reform This. When we come back, our last segment, I'll talk to you about another horrific honor killing in Pakistan. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.